The Humanist Being presents When Humanists Attack. Roger Kimmel Smith here letting you know that when humanists attack, they can advance evolution at the speed of revolution. This podcast is sponsored by The Humanist Being, a nonprofit secular religious group whose mission is to help the messages of humanism get heard in the political culture. The Humanist Being has a new project, which we'll be exploring on this episode, one that involves the juicy topics of SEX and relationships, non-monogamous relationships to be specific. We're calling it The Polyamory Education Project, and it was begat by my When Humanists Attack co-host Vincent Downing, along with Vincent's polyamory companion who's known as Pup Treble. Pup Treble is a musician, composer, and flamboyant sex educator based in New York City. I had a very stimulating chat with the two of them recently, and let's get right into it. I'd like to know some, because I don't know, about, you know, the relationship between the two of you, how and when you met, and, you know, what exactly you think you are doing now, and, you know, how the scheming began. So I've informed my parents. They know that I perform under a pseudonym. I always want to be either treble. You don't always have to say pup treble. Uh, the pup portion is like Mr. Wait, so is pup one of your pronouns? <laughs> uh, not pronoun exactly. It's more like Mr. or like Mrs. or Dr. Like an honorific. An honorific. Okay. That's a very good way of putting it. And there's in the community, there's also like Master Ginger is someone who I've met recently. Um, the Master is a title that some connotations, but there is historical references as well to Master something. Um, not necessarily in terms of a BDSM, but also, yeah, like, oh, the Slave Master. And it's like, have to be very delicate how we describe these terms in terms of it being um, from a loving, consensual point of view, as opposed to some of the historical things we have to acknowledge. I'm still thinking about master as an honorific and remembering strange times in my childhood when I was like seated at some table or maybe at somebody's bar mitzvah or some formal event and I was being addressed on paper as Master Roger Smith. Oh, yes. And in our culture for what is it like 12, 13 year old boys, that is a, a, a archaic honorific for boys at that age. For whatever reason, I never took it personally, you know, I'm sure it's wrong from 26 different perspectives, as is just about everything else. But what are you going to do? Not pup, though. I think we pups. <laughs> innocent. Oh, 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 come on. So so what what do I or what do our you know podcast audience need to know about you, pup travel and about your relationship? Relationship to myself, relationship to the character, relationship to Vincent. All of the above, please, and make it snap. So um, I first identified as a pup in 2019. Um, it's when I started meeting other pups, uh, people who I play, because um, they often dress up a little bit as a pup. They might have a mask. Um, they might wear a leash. Um, they might have little um, paws or something for them to crawl around so they can't stand up to, uh, upright. Uh, they might have tails. But it's a way of engaging by dressing in a certain way to engage in a more playful character. And it's a form of role play, much the same way you might dress up in a French maid outfit and be the cleaner. This is just a different role play. As for a relationship to 
Um, myself, I'm, I chose the name Treble because I am a musician and I wanted to have a name that every time I said it, it felt like me. Uh, and your parents name me before they have any idea who you're going to be. So this is a name that I kind of claim for myself, um, Treble. Um, and then as for my relationship to Vincent, uh, I had already decided by 2019 that I was going to move to New York. I first had my preview of New York in 2019 as a pup when in the 2019 New York World Pride Parade. Uh, it was a, the 50th anniversary of Stonewall and it was people gathering from around the world coming to New York to celebrate LGBTQIA plus rights and to celebrate our diversity. And I marched in that parade as a pup. And I knew then I really wanted to move here. So in 20, January, 2020, I, uh, January 1st actually, came up to New York and I was meeting with a fellow kinky guy who I'd met in a previous trip to New York. It was okay, kind of disappointing. And um, I had left his place on the second and I was on the BQE on my way home. And I was like, I already kind of dejected a little bit and I was stuck in terrible traffic because I was driving back home. And this gentleman in Park Slope reaches out to me. Now I don't condone texting and driving or grindering while driving. But if they're, you're pretty much in a traffic jam and you're moving every right. 10 seconds, probably not the worst time to be on your phone, especially if you're looking for an excuse not to be in traffic. <laughs> so this gentleman um, showed, uh, indicated that he was interested in consensual BDSM and he had also interested in giving massages and he had a sling and he, he had a full playroom available for it. So it wasn't going to be in someone's bedroom where they have roommates interrupting <laughs> or something was gonna end up being like pretty inconvenient as like the guy who I had been with the night before had like oh. five roommates said, oh, be on the quiet side. He could never truly relax. Yeah. So chatting a little bit on Grinder on the BQE, but just kind of sitting probably about 10 minutes. I had moved maybe like 500 feet. And that's the BQE. And then Vincent said, well, I don't know what you're doing right now, but I'm available now. I've got this playroom. My name's Vincent. And I was like, okay, I just met the, a guy the night before. I had only met once before. Um, wasn't the first time meeting a stranger. Based on our chat, I felt at least comfortable enough. We both consented to just meet. Didn't promise anything. Just to meet, see what happens. He, I believe he offered me a massage. Uh, and I'd already been pretty stressed at that point. So I said, okay, I'll come over. I'll be there in 10 minutes. Worst that could happen, I meet. I feel bad vibe. I get back in traffic. Easy meet up and I didn't end up leaving until about 8 p.m. that night and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> and we kept in touch since then. Vincent was one of my first people I, who I met in New York that I kept in regular contact with. Mm -hmm. yeah. And since then we've discussed a lot about polyamory, playing with groups, making the most of this playroom that he has, making the most of the toys, um, engaging in consensual activities that everyone can agree to. We all have needs. This isn't any novel concept. We're all humans. And we all, we're all probably a lot. I know a lot of us are sick of the, well, I don't want to go to the bar to uh, what meet up with people, hopefully get some sparks. And then COVID, of course, interrupted things because, you know, COVID oh. life. And then we're kind of able to congregate again 2021. Most of us had our shots and we've had a several now at this point, several um, polyamorous experiences, you would call it, where it's three or more 
people consenting to enjoy each other's company in adult mature ways. Mm -hmm. But before we get further into the project, I want to say in attempting to do uh, some due diligence on you and your background, I found and caught the, the first part of uh, an interview you did on another podcast in which you said, tell me if I have this right, that you sort of uh, came out or recognized your identity as gay and as kinky and as an atheist all around the same time. Yeah. Can, yeah. You, can you tell us about that? Absolutely. Um, I went to art school when I was uh, 18. That was the first time I'd ever moved away from my parents, my family. Um, and I went to University of the Arts in Philadelphia. Happy to say that. Mm -hmm. And when I was up there, I was surrounded by other artists, by queer people, by trans people, by just so many different types. For the first time, actually, I started having friends uh, with, I was friends with people um, uh, by an indigenous people of color. Um, I grew up in a very conservative um, and ethnically homogenous area. So it was great to get some diversity for the first time, getting all different viewpoints. I had grown up with certain expectations. I thought I was gonna have a wife. I thought I was gonna be the next Billy Joel. I'm just gonna be a rock and roll musician until I learned about how bad of an example Billy Joel is. Yeah. So I've been away from my family and I went to a Catholic school for until eighth grade. So I finally mm -hmm. was, I didn't have to go to church and I didn't really want to. I was able to explore my own interests for the first time. And uh, I was incre uh, increasingly on Wikipedia just to get to know the world, get to know my world, understand my body a little more, uh, and got me to explore fetishes a little more. And I had a term, finally, for having an unusual interest in something. Now, I assumed I was straight, but I had never even mm. been with a girl in high school, kissed mm. a few pecs. I had like my first girlfriend had to teach me how to mm. kiss even though I never even wanted to kiss her. You don't got to teach someone if you really feel it. And <laughs> I certainly wasn't doing it enough. Right. But in college, in like my first year of college, um, hmm. even the queer people who I knew were just like extra, a little on the different side as well. And I knew I was different, but I didn't know my brand of different until I came across the term fetish. And I realized, oh, I have a leather and latex and bondage fetish. Uh, BDSM, I learned about that term. And so around the same time, I realized I only like seeing men who were restrained or in rubber gear or, you know, in, engaging in scenes. Never woman. And that got me to realize, mm -hmm. oh, not only am I interested in men, but I'm also kinky. And around the same time, I realized I was atheist because because I knew I was interested in men, I didn't want it to feel like it was a sin. And at that point, religion already had such a little hold on me that, you know what? I need to focus on my happiness, who I really am. This is exciting to me. And I've been depressed for a lot of my childhood. Um, mm -hmm. I wasn't living my authentic life. I was raised that you're straight or Catholic, you're gonna be this or that, great. But then in college, my I completely changed how I viewed the world just by being my natural self. And so around the same time I realized I was into men and that I was kinky, I was also realized, yeah, religion is not for me. I don't believe in that just understanding the state of the world, my relationship to the world, as well as my relationship to myself and my kink. Long-winded answer for all of that. So it was, you know, a pretty long way out 
in other words. And it, you know, makes makes me think in a new way about the relationship between bondage and liberation. Mm-hmm. Wanting to accept it and giving of yourself to someone um, willingly and enthusiastically. Now, I didn't even have an experience with it for the first time until I was like 20 with bondage until I was like 27. So it took me many more years to even get that far into the community. At first, it was just the gear. Can I wear a spandex hood or rubber gloves or just tiptoe into the queer world? And then how is that? Well, then I was living in um, after college, I moved back to South Jersey, back to a small town. Nobody had had, had any kinks. Most people were terrible at sex. Um, <laughs> poor communicators didn't know, really know what they want. And so I had to spend many more years still struggling to figure out what made me happy. Yeah. And what make, made me really happy to like, this is my final form and all of that. Moving to New York two years ago, it's been such a liberating experience. Mm-hmm. It was gradual process to get here. But now that I'm here, I'm like, okay, this is this is me now. I'm trouble. Yeah, you you know, it was a long way out, but you've gotten far out. And you know, it seems like when I said bondage before, it sounded like you were describing a kind of mental bondage or various forms thereof in your childhood, ideological bondage, you know, mm-hmm. wrapped up in a lot of stuff that was far from far from the you you wanted to be. Well put. Restrained to certain ideals, I was forced on me. But then by making the choice to embrace bondage, kink, leather, pupness, that took me away from my previous ideals and opened me up to new things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now polyamory. Yeah. So why not just add another one? All right. So um, why not get into describing this current project that the two of you somehow are involved with together? You know, it's it's Genesis, where it's at and where it's going. Well, and just to touch briefly on the the polyamory aspect of things how polyamory could work among gay men which is that i meet this man in an active year when i'm meeting you know a a fair number of men after you average it all out during the course of a year you might meet two or three that you really click with and you realize oh my god i'm in love so i remember talking to a confidant that evening. And I said, uh, this is now, this is the downside to what I'm doing is because this is one of the times when one of my guys is just going to break my heart. (laughs) But yeah, I get my heart broken a lot. And you fall in love at that rate. And you know, it's it's, just a lot of averages. It's okay. And yeah, yeah. It's like, and even if you don't fall in love, you still get your heart broken in other ways. And you just have to factor that in. To the cost. Anyway, uh, uh, more specifically, our relationship. So I'm like, oh, yeah, ah, he's going to go back to South Jersey. And, you know, well, it doesn't matter how you feel. Oh, well. Hmm. And then we wind up staying in touch. He comes back. Uh, before, before I get to coming back, I want to get to the point of keeping in touch. Um, what uh, Vincent specifically did um, that really left an impression with me. He oh, gave me okay. two of, of his prints. Vincent does a lot of artwork. Um, so he gave me two prints to bring home, which I thought was a fantastic souvenir, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, often with, um, oh God, it's your souvenir is an STD. And that's not fun. <laughs> I 
Well, that wasn't the case here. Yeah, no. It's not good hospitality. <laughs> yeah. And then I remember hanging it up and like he signed it in the bottom. So like it was like part of the artwork of my room. Also, of course, um, I always like to send a follow-up text and message. Sometimes like, the artwork works. And like, yeah, see, leaving such an impression that I felt where like I wanted to message you after. Oh, I got home safely. Really appreciated that. I don't think I texted the guy who I had slept over the night before, like the kind of disappointing scene. But for uh, Vincent, certainly worth it. So we kept in touch. I came back to the city in June of that year. I remember, we went for a walk in Prospect Park. Bonded right. over our both of us going to Catholic school. And at that point, I didn't know many people in the city. So I thought, well, it's, I'll call up one of the few people I do know. And of course, I was more than happy because uh, channeling something like that into an ongoing friendship is a perfectly good operating way to go about the kind of polyamory I practice. And uh, it really worked. There you go, three years later. Uh, and then we basically step-by-step step came to see, um, getting back to the project, we, talking about these things, came to see these uh, needs expressed or not among the men we were meeting. It's like the, the isolation. If I may, so yes, the needs of the other people, but also our needs in relationship to that and how our needs can work with each other. All right, what kind of needs are you talking about? Community, to be mm -hmm. part of something other than just sitting at a computer all day, working from home, and then, you know, doing what? Jerking off the porn? I mean, seriously. Mm -hmm. uh, and and the pandemic made uh, put all of those bad tendencies on steroids on steroids i mean you would not think it would be so difficult to get a healthy red-blooded men trying to get them to come out for roger sex i mean <laughs> where, where, what happened to the what you know did martians take the the men away and and replace them with with zombies? no i know i know what you mean and being you know quite heterosexual we were we were all invited during covid into into deep and kind of pathological kinds of isolation. And it's just, it. there were these trends already happening towards unhealthy isolation, mostly okay. ruled by social media. We were, were we had these needs ourselves and we were meet, running into the same needs from the guys that we were meeting. Now, what I had been doing for the years previously was basically just me and my merry little band of, you know, I had my handful of close buddies and then it was just basically me and these really cool guys who I love to host and give like a fun place where they could more or less be themselves to whatever degree that was. You know, not that, that not everybody was into BDSM, not everybody was into anything. These uh, uh, gatherings you know, you could have the massage table going and the sling to just, you know, in, within the boundaries of decorum, just just doing it practically uh, speaking as an artist. There you go. I have I have artistic intuitions, really, to bring to the table. But but it seems like you also have kind of sociological uh, inclinations or, you know, I mean, something kind of vast like that because i'm i'm still 
wanting to know more about how this group has grown from, you know, Vincent's playgroup into something you're now calling, you know, a polyamory education project that you believe has larger significance and, well, and you know, what, what it has to do with humanism. Well, let me just be very clear that the polyamory education project is a specific project of the humanist being. It in of itself is not the men gathering together to be polyamorous. So the, our polycule, as it's called, mm -hmm. a, a, a term in the polyamorous community, meaning a network of sexually and romantically related people. That's not the education project. The education project in time, I hope, will come to educate people about any number number of polyamorous uh, goings on in different places. And then to explain how the our our well, what we've done evolved into the project, um, part of it is when you do things enough time, you realize what works, what doesn't work. Sometimes things don't work. Why is that the case? What can you do to make things better? We all have, uh, and Vincent mentioned before, like we have those unwritten rules. Well, what happens if we write the rules down? Having a, if not a script, at least a format. And the Polyamory Project, uh, for uh, and of us, for instance, how we, when we can have three people together and making sure all parties believe in what they're doing, consent to what they're doing, not just saying, okay, you know, that sounds good versus no, yes, this is what I want. This is what I agree to being very specific. Uh, the other day we were talking to a gentleman about possibly uh, joining us and I wanted him to say very specifically what he wanted in terms of a potential polyamorous outing for the three of us. Uh, he specifically wanted Vincent to be tied up and watching because the guy has a voyeurism fetish. But I wanted him to say something along the lines of, I want you to tie me up. I want you to do this to me. I want you to do that. And he was so uncomfortable saying that I want that I said, you're not ready yet. We're not going to do this. I When I have, have instances when it's just me and another person, that's the only two relationships right there. And if I'm the dom and he's the sub, I got to make sure he's saying yes to a lot of different things, not just, okay, we'll see what happens. Yeah, come on over. I'm drunk. Let's just do whatever. Oh man, you got hurt because of what I did. I hurt your feelings inadvertently. What can we do to prevent that? And I know speaking from experience for myself, how many times I've had borderline traumatic experiences with people who are either too aggressive, mm -hmm. didn't respect my, my preferences because I didn't say my preferences out loud. Maybe I did say my preferences out loud beforehand, but I didn't say it during the scene, for example. We discussed like, well, if I have rules, do we have to write up the rules? Does it have to be artwork on the wall? Should the rules be written on my chest? Yeah. Oh, Lord. Um, if it's going to be, for example, three or four guys, sometimes we forget. Guys, <laughs> just don't think with our brains. Right. And it's tough to consciously mm -hmm. always remember. There's, there's a lot you might have to remember. Sorry. Well, well that, I mean, that reminded me of the conversation we had a few weeks ago in which, you know, I got the impression that the project seems to involve a lot of sort of stepping up into responsibility, you know, or, or not shirking responsibility for saying what you want, you know, for example. For communicate, absolutely. And uh, for the record, I'm surprised at how many routine 
violations you can make, you know, just out of habit and not paying attention. Um, there's a lot of alertness that you got to bring to that kind of encounter. Uh, it's being both in the moment and being in the past, thinking about how to be your most, um, your, your best practicing self. And you have to practice it to get good at it. Um, you know, if you have sex every single day, maybe your practice means you're going to be great, or maybe you're doing the same terrible habits every day. Exactly. Yeah, there is that. Well, uh, but, then, but then having multiple partners, I suppose, uh, is, you know, one way to make sure you're not, you know, if, you, if you're in bad habits, you break them perhaps sooner than you would otherwise. Maybe it helps if they know each other, you know, uh, that, that makes breaking your bad well, habits. Well, right. I mean, uh, also, from what I'm hearing, you know, Pub Trouble, uh, I had thought of polyamory more, largely in terms of relationships that are ongoing. I think that's what the vocabulary is meant for. But, you know, your description also makes me think you can use it just as well to describe something that happens on one night, you know, an event. Absolutely. In terms and in that sense, it's more of a matter of how you do something than what you're doing. And I'm going to add what you said about the term relationship, an ongoing relationship. Well, yes, uh, anytime you have three or more people, there's actually seven relationships involved. Oh, this, this, to myself, this is a mathematician. Well, there's three people involved. <laughs> so there's the relationship to yourself for person A, B, and C, A and B, A and C, B and C, and then A, B, and C. All of those relationships are different. I'm flunking it. <laughs> Well, I'm sure you get the metaphor because, yeah, I'm not doing the math right well, now. Right. Well, you know, I mean, certainly it means communication, as my dad used to say, you know, it's, it's just right. Right. What is the exponentially logarithmically more important? And that, of course, is one of the old raps on poly. You know, I mean, setting aside those who find polyamory just morally distasteful and don't want to go there or think about it, you know, but. For others, the knock is that it's just too hard to sustain. They're too easy to screw it up because it magnifies the potential for breakup and the heartbreak and, and highlights uh, this exhausting need for good communication practice. Is it exhausting? If it's a good habit and you do it every day, you always get in the good habit of communicating well, communicating your consent, your practices, <clears throat> your rules, maybe you need to refresh, it's great. As a reminder, here's my preferences when engaging in three or more people. And I think the goal of this playgroup is we, we know that there has to be certain things set up front for three or more people. But a lot of these practices also apply to two people. They also apply to straight couples or on other of, forms of, of relationships, That's, which is why it's important as an education project, figuring out best practices and it doesn't mean what we're doing we know is the set way, the only way. There's many resources out there for how to do things, but there isn't a whole lot of good discussions on polyamory. The, the love part, well, it could either mean making love, but it could also mean that familial familial love, like uh, um, like a family network. It could mean that more romantic love. It could mean more of like a, um, bro a brotherly love, a kinship. Uh, all those forms could apply. Yeah, at different times with uh, with different people. It it does imply you have you know some some bond, some responsibility to one another. 
you know, mm-hmm. that will go beyond a single event. You know, I mean, I'm I'm wondering how, as you describe the project, you see polyamory, you know, among men who have sex with men uh, as different from or, you know, distinguishable from mere promiscuity, you know, the usual way. Well, first of all, I um, define uh, promiscuous as anybody who has more sex than I do. Nah. Uh, but <laughs> it takes uh, it out of the moral plane for sure. <laughs> uh, but we're saying that we want to share our feelings as well as our bodies. And as opposed to a random sex party, which does happen. And that is often the ideal that people have about the gay community. Oh, a big raver, loud dance music and giant back rooms where who knows what's happening. I don't like that. Where an STI is the souvenir, you know. It, it's, I prefer having sex with people I care about uh, in a clean place. Ah, right, know, so, uh, so that's what you're into. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There is, that, is no. something more than that, I suppose, is part of what I'm asking because, you know, there is a notion, and I'm old enough to remember previous iterations of what we're now comfortable calling polyamory. Uh, there was the term ethical non-monogamy. Sure. And I wouldn't really subscribe to that and to what it implies, you know? Yeah. Like polyamory isn't necessarily the same thing as cheating. <laughs> because, because of the issue of consent, which okay. brings us back to humanism. Why, why This entire thing, would be anchored in humanist principles, whether or not we were even conscious of that. Because just saying that sexual morality is based in consent is a step away from the religious framework, where religious morality is based on divine fiat, as is interpreted uh, by the sanctified uh, uh, interpreters of that fiat. So to give you an example, uh, under divine fiat, in uh, my understanding of uh, God's uh, proclamations under Christianity, for example, uh, anal sex is wrong. Mm-hmm. Now, under our um, ethical framework, anal sex is wrong if you do not have consent. And it is right if you do. You can understand the historical implications for why certain things were wrong previously, before modern plumbing, before modern means of doing stuff in a safe way, you can imagine that, yeah, there was a lot of disease spread, just as there's a lot of disease spread nowadays. Before the invention of condoms, even, you can imagine just how like, oh, well, you doing this is going to lead to that. So I can see then why there was a theological point of view for why anal sex is wrong. Oh, those other people. Oh, so you're not doing it for procreation purposes. Of course, the religions want procreation to be the focus because for many, many years, humanity had a very low life expectancy. A lot of children did not survive infancy. The purpose was to grow the people, grow the faith. And only in more like the past century, that wasn't necessarily the focus, especially with religion not being as important a part of your life. That allows especially uh, queer people to find new ways of engaging with each other, which does not have to be that heteronormative default. Those are good points. I mean, it makes me think that 2000 years ago, that there were fewer social resources and and 
definitely needs that were perhaps more dire, you know, for basic hygiene and things like that. Mm -hmm. So perhaps, perhaps the, uh, the religion stepping into some of those needs at that time <laughs> might have been, uh, might've been helpful in ways that the prior centuries made us think we've evolved past. Mm -hmm. I, I thank you, Roger. You, you've, said it much more nicely than I would have <laughs> in a much less attackful way. Um, I, I just speaking for myself, I, I'm not somebody who is, believes that every aspect of these religions that I'm in opposition to are wrong or bad. Some of these strictures certainly could easily be said to do more good than harm. Even just 200 years ago, before, before the invention of, uh, of central sewage, uh, for heaven's sake. I mean, yeah, you might actually, uh, quote unquote, promiscuity would do more harm than good in the aggregate. Uh, sexual freedom be damned. I get that. Um, but I think that uh, I'll, I'll uh, speak for all three of us where we're thinking that we might have evolved beyond certain aspects of that and we're struggling to figure out what to do next. Um, because as a humanist, I'm really urgently concerned with building humanist community. And I'm urgently concerned with not doing things just according to the previous templates of how to do things. And my best guess as an artist, you might say, is that uh, a legitimate contribution to whatever it is that's going to come next is polyamory to just make the script, the, 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 the framing available to people that there is something in between this isolated dyad of people, which is becoming I, I don't see it getting more tenable as these environmental circumstances endure that we're in right now. I see it becoming less tenable. And nor is it uh, that only happening in the gay community. I was actually having a conversation with my roommate and a female friend of my roommate yesterday, how they both practice consensual non-monogamy. You might call it polyamory, except for the one is single. So it doesn't, uh, and she considers polyamory to be more I have a, a primary partner right. and then someone else, but she's not lacking the primary partner. And she was saying how sexually frustrated she is and how I believe straight by everyone can still learn from our practices, um, practicing that consent, open communication. So often on the dating apps, you might see guys that are down low, discreet. Oh, I wanted, uh, I want to do this, but in secret. Well, so they're hiding from someone. They can't really be fully invested in it. Like, oh, this is so exciting for me because nobody knows. Like, okay, get over that excitement for breaking someone's trust and maybe just be open. Um, for instance, I know that I would be okay with like, um, like if there was a male female partner, I would be okay with me being with the other male while the female watches. Like that would be a form of polyamory even if the three of us aren't literally engaging sure. with each other because- two of the people already together and then the one acts as a pivot or a hinge i, I don't know what the term is the uh, hinge yeah the hinge um so then we can engage all together all sorts of ways you can do that but it's so much better when it's through consent you agree ahead of time 
you have your limits in place. Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess the the bottom line emphasis on consent exactly. uh, and communicate, you know, creates an ethical boundary premised on people behaving responsibly with one another. Responsibility also being one of the humanist commitments, by the way. But, but then beyond that, I think that, that, you know, my supposition has been that polyamory has a lot to do with like exploding all sorts of restricting categories and concepts in our minds, the mental bondage we were talking about earlier, you know, so it's like approaching all of adult life, not just, you know, adult meaning sexual, but everything about growing up, you know, with this sort of rigorous kind of responsible freedom that is liberating. So like in uh, this makes it similar to sort of the trans revolution in my in my mind as something happening now but roger is any of these uh uh you know reframings of one's sexual life are liberating and freeing and uh enable you to be a more uh, interested and interesting person and you know get more of just pleasure physical sexual mm -hmm. pleasure which do not ever uh, think we are at all ashamed of wanting or giving or getting at any point. Uh, none of that, none of that puritanical, you know, uh, you you can't feel anything good until you've hit yourself 500 times with a wire <laughs> whip. I mean, uh, we, that, which is certainly one of the things we have got to uh, get away from, um, you know, a wire whip, go for it. But huh. is this a consensual wire whipping or, you know, have you been brainwashed into it? Let's just sit down and discuss this. You know, can I jump in on one of the things you were alluding to, please? How yeah, gay men do have the most sex of any group. Most other, at least in America, I'm not sure about the world, but there's a sex drought. People are having a lot less sex than they used to. And maybe that's because maybe your average man might be afraid of engaging, asking things from his female partner that maybe they could learn a thing or two, like, oh, it's not wrong to want to have multiple partners if you just have the script for it. Um, so it's not just, they can learn from gay men being so sexually liberated without taking it to that next level, which is, oh, well, we don't want that anonymous, unsafe promiscuity, the finding that middle ground for where everyone can feel good about what they're doing and not feel shitty afterward. I'm, I'm sorry, Roger. That you know, with monkeypox on tops of on top of the other STIs, you know, that's there. There is a you know an empirical reason why this kind of uh, you know communication and responsible behavior are needed. Oh, uh, re that it has been remarked to me over the years. You know, considering what. You get away with Vincent, you know, what you're up to during the course of a year. It's amazing. You've like, you know, you don't catch all of this stuff. And I'm like, well, I do, you know, I, I get it. I'm busy, but I do kind of stack the odds in my favor, um, you know, which is a whole other part of uh, uh, polyamory is that uh, you've got to do a lot of uh, work just, you know, before anybody actually walks through the door of the playroom. Um all, or, you know, said process of which I don't really think we need to go to in detail here, but it is or will be documented on our website to some detail. And men who are more likely to talk about limits, preferences, practices, sexual health 
are more likely to take care of their health. Men who are more likely to chat on the phone or meet in person before a random meeting, much more likely to have thought about best practices as opposed to, no, all I do is random anonymous sex. I never want to think about it. I'm just always looking for immediacy. The guys who they, they don't want that emotional connection. I yeah. think I pity on them and they end up feeling more guilt and shame in the long run, but I don't want to judge. I don't want to judge them either. I don't want to slut shame. I, I, you know, uh, you know, it's not slut shaming. Uh, 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 I want to just swerve into this for a minute because this is something I run into all the time, particularly with younger men. Is you want to have sex with lots and lots of people, and that's great. You're 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 a guy, and you should be, in my humble, not at all humble opinion. Um, but the choice is to to go about it with this emotional armor on you so that you're just sort of really beyond a certain point, not going to bond with anybody. And that might or mm. might not actually happen, but that's kind of the, the, what you're going into your encounters with you that. Take you your know. separating sex from, from relationships. Some you're, you're separating sex from emotion uh, in a way that in my opinion was never worth it for me. All right. Uh, ever. Even when I was a young guy being told, well, you know, it's fine. Go out and have lots of anonymous sex and it's just cool. And I was like, well, wait a minute. It isn't <laughs> not, not for me. Uh, uh, a young man who incidentally in our culture, we are not taught these uh, emotional niceties of like how to juggle your emotions so that you can go into multiple uh, encounters with people, connect and then healthily this, you know, intensely connect and then just as healthily, intensely disconnected. We're not taught that. So if the best thing these guys can do is come up with emotional armor, which they kind of had, you know, was had been installed upon them all their young male lives anyway, uh, more often than not, um, then I'm, I'm not going to say that this is immoral or unethical. I'm just going to say that certainly for me, it's not optimal. And I don't really consider it optimal for anybody. It would be better in my world if you could have lots of kinky sex with lots of partners and you could be like emotionally bonding where you what to whatever extent you need to with whomever you need to and don't. This is one of the things I run into. Uh, is trying to to suggest that there's another way. Get your heart broken. It it's fine. It's better than pretending you don't have one in the first place. I guess there you go. I, I could have just said that. Really sorry. <laughs> um. You. I mean, Vincent. You've been saying since I met you 30 years ago uh, that you've been looking for and trying to help create the sexual evolution. You know, it sounds like you're back in that. But but I guess I also think that, you know, probably gay men have been engaging in what we call polyamorous practices, you know, for a, a very, very long time. But the, the, the lingo, you know, the concepts behind them somewhat have lagged behind, but now we have all this lingo. Is this your understanding? May I add another term that maybe you're not as familiar with, but it's a good term that applies for what we're practicing. Demisexual. 
Now, most people are like, oh, that just sounds kinky or whatever. What does the demi mean? I don't know. Demisexual means you prefer having an emotional connection to your sexual partners as opposed to more of a physical wanting to right. get to know the people mm-hmm. knowing their boundaries consent that's called demisexual in the community but we need a term because so many people don't practice that they're more than okay with purely lust right well well or armored you know yeah. armored i I, re- I really to be nude in the flesh but armored in the emotions i can understand it seeming weird it's the one kink i'm not for you know is emotional armor I'm just like, if you've got to come into the playroom with it, let's see about stripping it off you because I like my men naked. Well, and I know I like this sort of gear because it helps me get even more into the mindset of a pup, of a um, a bondage sub, of um, while also it could appear very dominant because it's such a shocking outfit. I might wear this on the subway. I'm like, I have a doctor appointment after this. I might just for the, is anyone going to say anything? Probably not because, whoa, this is so imposing. Could easily hit them with my leash. It's not illegal. <laughs> might be a little shocking, but it's New York as well. So people have seen a lot more shocking stuff and I'll bet no one's going to say it. It's not all that different from, you know, wearing your rules and preferences in writing on your chest. You know? Yeah. 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 In the summertime, we're also very used to, we should be more comfortable with nudity. I wish that we had more nude spaces, places where people can be their freest, freakiest selves. But we are a very puritanical society. And what about the kids? Just as with alcohol, if kids were at least Mm. open to broader mindsets, they can make their own choices and uh, figure out their own lives out. This is why kids should go to pride parades, see all sorts of different people, guys dressed as girls, guys dressed as pups. Oh, look, that adult's in costume, having fun playing. That's all it is. I'm doing this for my fellow millennials who are still so repressed that they see this and like, whoa, you can do that? Whoa, that stuff exists? Whoa, that excites me. How come? Oh, because I've always wanted to do that. Oh, I've always wanted to be gagged while I'm having sex because I just wanted to feel that. Great, do that, have fun. You live once. I be your freakiest self and have fun and do it in a consensual way, and don't be so like, oh, this is weird. Oh, this is immoral. Oh, I shouldn't do this. Have fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. More, more liberation through bondage. You know, but uh, you know, it also I'm sure feels very, very radical as well. Uh, you know, I know that people sort of associate polyamory with with radical revolutionary, you know, ways of, uh, of transforming relationships and the social structure. And, and I imagine that you have, you know, ideas of that nature too, because you have this inclination to document the project, to publicize it, to call it an education project. And calling it an education project, I think is going to piss off so many of uh, conservatives, people who don't understand this. Wait, they're explaining their methods. They can't keep being the scapegoat that they've always been. Wait, there's rationality behind what they do. Grr, we don't like that. We just want to blindly oppose them. Oh my gosh, something that they said makes sense to me. Oh boy, that takes my armor down. That'll be a nice outcome of this. Um, and in addition to opening the eyes of people who already 
predisposed to it, maybe then the people who are predisposed to it who are facing pushback can then see this and like, oh, wait, consent. I agree with that, whether I'm conservative or liberal. Oh, respecting people's preferences, we all should be doing that. Sadly, mm -hmm. violence and doing stuff against other people is way too common. And we don't think enough about our partners. Maybe now they can. Yeah. Secret sex rule that I learned on the top of a mountain from a monk after months of purification <laughs> and eating berries and crawling up the face of the rock. No oxygen tanks, none of that bullshit. You had to either get there on your own merits or not. And after months of this, I made it to the cave and I said, yes, I have been promised, oh great master, the secret to great sex will come from your lips. And it, uh, they looked at me because they were uh, actually neither identifiably male nor female, and yet somehow alluringly both, and looked at me and said, pay attention to your partner. Next! And that was the end of it. <laughs> Look, it's... it. Where does humanism, I mean, where it's more like where does humanism not touch these uh, uh, shenanigans? And how we're doing this as uh, regards to the actual men who show up and we hang out with uh, in and out of the playroom. Because increasingly, now that Treble and other people are saying, look, we want to do stuff that isn't just in the playroom. We're meeting and doing other stuff. They might be like practicing humanists as well as practicing polyamorists. Whether or not they've ever thought of themselves as that is a different story. So we're kind of leaving the humanism there. We're saying, here it is. If you want to look at this, there it is. And we're kind of leaving it at that. And if anybody's like interested in that philosophy stuff, I say, great, we'll talk about it. And if they're not, well, we'll, we'll do other stuff. So it's not okay. like we're promulgating or, you know, uh, 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 going about with the idea that every single person we meet is a, is, would be better off if they were a humanist. Mm -hmm. uh, no, no, no. Let's leave that to the religious folks who want, you know, whose idea of a perfect world is every single man, woman, and child on earth is a member of their tribe. And that's, that's again, that's a not really, to my mind, a humanist vision, sir. And with religion increasingly being an irrelevant place in most people's lives, and I say that acknowledging that the non-religious people are the fastest growing religious affiliation um, there needs to be another way. We used to have the rules accord, uh, the rules of morality according to this religion, this religion. And yeah, they're all generally like, okay, here's not how not to be a dick. Here's some general best practices. And then some of them also included a lot of the bullshit that is what driving people away from religion. The humanism for sure is another path toward finding that peace as, among yourself and among others. Um, and certainly can achieve that, especially through your sexual practices, which historically was more doctrined by 
the religion. Oh, don't have sex before marriage. Oh, you're supposed to be a virgin until marriage. Well, it makes sense because of STDs and wanted to make sure this child is actually yours, considering how important heredity. And people were getting married at like, you know, 12. And dying you know, at I mean, 40 or 50 uh, and having 10 yeah, kids, yeah. two of which survived to adulthood. You know, no sex before marriage when you're getting married at, you know, 12 or 13. You know, I, I wouldn't necessarily think that's such a bad idea. <laughs> Let's like wait for puberty. And having the term polyamory is useful for the people who they only know the idea of monogamy and they don't want to be a right. cheater. Right. But then there's you also don't put all the pressure on one person for all of your sexual needs. If you were to be monogamous, that's a lot of pressure. And if your first ever sexual partner is your only sexual partner and you never experiment and you always do bad practices, you might never know what else is possible. And if you always have a desire to try other things, either you're going to cheat or you're going to live your entire life in regret. And polyamory provides a third option, or you just talk about it. You find a way to do it um, where all parties involved are okay with it. If you are already in a committed relationship, then either you both can join if you want to, or the one can ideally with the consent of the other partner, knowing that the other guy is only going to do that. They're going to do this, discussing things ahead of time. It's a way of doing things. So nobody gets hurt. Really? Well, or is, or is less likely getting hurt. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry, but unending and unalloyed comfort is not what I'm looking for. Hmm. So people are going to get hurt. And guess what? That's just how it is. And that's going to happen whether you're monogamous or whether or not you're just jacking off alone to porn your whole life. Uh, I submit. It's going to happen whether you you have a lot of emotional armor or not. Oh, yes. There certainly are people who... uh, you know, think it over and reject polyamory as an option for themselves. An academic paper I came across in the, uh, the you know, the sex research journal said that at present monogamy still seemed to be more likely to be the norm among het, hetero folk, uh, but among uh, bi and pan sexual people, polyamory may more, uh, more and more become a norm perhaps that'll still remain the norm but whereas maybe in the past it was 98 percent of people were monogamous or whatever i don't even want to make up the stats but maybe now it'll be 60 percent. and i consider that huge progress toward people finding a different outlet finding different ways of doing what they already naturally want to do probably i think it's a natural human emotion now maybe for a lot of people the natural inclination is they only want that security with one person that's okay. That's a perfectly valid uh, option in life. Shouldn't be the default, though. Yeah. Uh, well, even if it is the default, it should be a default with plenty of uh, welcome. Here's the exit to here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, look, a lot of people might yeah, really just prefer the there to be a default. Is different from it has to be this way. Something you know, religiously enforced. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I've heard it uh, quoted more than one study that suggests that a majority of people worldwide cross-culturally tend to be serial monogamists. And it's not like I want a polyamorous world, you know, in order to be happy. And you know, this isn't religion. 
Okay, it's not like we're saying yeah, everybody has to be a polyamorous. If I may, about the like percentage and surveys which you've both discussed, um, this is an important factor whether you admit to it or not, because some people might might be doing it anyway, doing it in secrecy. Oh, yeah. Um, who knows what percentage of people we might never know. Having more people who are at least openly polyamorous, talking about openly about their practices, might get the people who are already doing it. So at least admit it. Maybe there's a whole lot more. I, I bet there are so many more bi guys out there. I've met several guys who I thought were straight. I'm like, nope, they are not straight. And they're probably bi, which is great. You have a term for it. I think there's probably too much bi stigma, for instance, in both the gay and straight communities. Um, having more knowledge just about all different terms so we can have the vocabulary for it. So it's not just, we don't make the assumptions based on, well, I thought everyone's this way. Nobody, no one is all ever one thing. We all contain multitudes. There's no, oh, here's the average human. Yeah. Like a humanist principle in and of itself, you know, recognition of diversity. And not being freaked by it. And as as I would hope uh, to argue, I would want, uh, uh, polyamory to be something out there for progressive folks in general, and certainly for humanists, uh, uh, making this script, not for gay men only, of course, obviously, but th this thing as a part of the general message. Here, you know, here's what uh, we're cool with, just in the same way that your local, uh, uh, whatever, Baptist church you know, is only cool with their uh, uh, donut socials for, you know, heteronormative hijinks. I would like part of my legacy to the the uh, men in the next generation, very particularly and specifically, to be like a, a script for a community that they don't have to be in any way embarrassed to be a part of, which is part of my thing with humanism. Uh, and and uh, Treble understands this, uh, as far as I know, very clearly. This is, you know, for his generation and for people who follow uh, uh, to to be a, a something to add to a community, an overall community, including plenty of people who aren't polyamorous. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look at that. We've lived to see the sexual evolution start taking shape at last. Glad you mentioned that. Uh, Raj, uh, I've been thinking about that. You are you are uh, you know committing to paper and publishing on the web. You know some of the uh, the documentation uh, around the formation of this group. Yep. So look for that at thehumanistbeing.org. Uh, closing words. This has been great. I'm thankful to the both of you. So here's my Instagram handle and everything. Does that show? Pup Treble NYC. Uh, at Pup Treble NYC, because there's an original Pup Treble in Georgia who took the other handles. So that's uh, my handle on Instagram. I have Twitter as well. Don't recommend looking at that. It's very adult. Um, and my Instagram is more safe for work. Uh, Instagram is owned by Facebook. Um, I'm in the process of making a Facebook account and expanding my YouTube page because I've been writing about my kinky queer experiences in New York and writing a musical slash concept album called Pup Trebles Flambabulous Musical Extravaganza. <laughs> Did you say glam fabulous? 
flambabulous, flamboyant and fabulous. I'm flambabulated <laughs> and grateful for the time. Likewise. Likewise.